Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. Spring football is back. Could you feel the excitement in your living room or kitchen or office, wherever you Zoomed in today? Oh, yeah. I was in my sweatpants for the last time, though, because uh, we might be done with Zoom for a while with the, the old Huskers. We're going to in-person interviews uh, starting Wednesday, so that's a good deal. Yeah, it, it's earlier than I would have guessed. I didn't think that this would happen until the fall at the very earliest, and so I am pleasantly pleasantly surprised by the whole thing. BC, I always liked your Zoom setup because kind of like perched over your left shoulder, <laughs> you always have like this mini hoop, <clears throat> and I'm always like, <clears throat> excuse me, like 90% expecting you to ask a question and then like turn around and throw down like a huge windmill dunk. Yeah. Like the question was so friggin' good. I just got to like celebrate. Yeah. Or you just hit like a step back three. Yeah. After asking uh, Frost for a, for an injury update that he wasn't quite ready to give. Um, somebody else noted something else that was behind my shoulder. A guy DM me and said, Hey, your blinds are really jacked up, which they were <laughs> like, it, they're all askew. And I think it was really bothering it. Somebody, if he's listening, I did fix it. So, uh, um, that is solved. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, it's always nice to get a little critique about what your house looks like when you unwittingly allow strangers into it. Yeah. Um, well, fortunately, in those Zoom calls, nothing really embarrassing has happened to this point. So that's that's good. Oh, we got an unmuted moment today. <laughs> I got a I got a phone call about that. I heard it was uh, I heard it was quite the moment. A little off color language was caught. Yeah. Yes, well, some pay channel language. Got, yeah, got <laughs> in the room. it's a good thing that that didn't get broadcast out for everyone. <laughs> Otherwise, Nebraska might be NSFW. You know. Yeah, it's uh, they start start showing those press press conferences on Showtime. Be a good network for it for sure. <laughs> All right, so Scott Frost spoke today. Who else talked today? Did you get both coordinators or just Shenander? And then I know some players spoke as well. Both coordinators. Uh, let's see, Damian Daniels, Cameron Jurgens, Austin Allen. I'm missing somebody. Somebody else, Bronze. Who help me out? uh doman oh yeah doman yeah. dominator yeah that, that was it adrian martinez did not talk but don't read anything into that he had a we were told beforehand he had a a class um during the zoom call so that that is not a sign that he is he's not in the program anymore or anything he's he's uh we, we get him next monday yes so uh, brian i'll ask yeah. a question i guess what was the biggest takeaway that you had from Scott Frost today? He covered a lot of ground. Uh, yeah, he did. Um, I guess to me, it was a special teams thing, just sort of uh, publicly announcing what they're doing there, or at least who's leading it with Mike Dawson in charge. I don't think it was a great stunner. Uh, people kind of been putting that puzzle together and figured, well, if they're not hiring an outside analyst for it, uh, who on staff, you know, best has a resume where you'd say that's going to, that, that would fit, fit him. And Dawson's that guy. And I think you remember this last year, Brunt, um, when we, it was before COVID hit, hit America. Uh, when we had the little round tables, Mike Dawson was talking about special teams and he gets pretty fired up about special teams. You can tell it's close to his heart and let's face it. Uh, a lot of linebackers are your key guys on special teams. So it kind of works seamlessly. And I think, I think Eric Chenander, um, you know, can also do his part working with outside backers too, when, when need be um, so that you can kind of multitask with guys doing different things. So I, I think it works out. Uh, I asked, I asked Scott Frost if Bill Bush, uh, who obviously is an analyst but has extensive special teams background, if he would um, be involved. And he said he might have a hand in it, but he said his primary role would be, you know, working with defense and giving ideas there. So it, it's kind of Mike Dawson's baby as far as the kick coverages 
and kick return units go, um, he, he's the guy who's, who's going to be the, the lead dog there. You, you said that Mike Dawson gets a little fired up about special teams. Now the question is, is there a topic that you don't think Mike Dawson gets fired up about? He just – he seems <laughs> like he's perpetually fired up and or just loud about everything. Yeah. My, my favorite Mike Dawson, fun fact, he said this on one of the radio interviews, is that he once wanted to be a baseball umpire, which I think is, was <laughs> sort of a missed opportunity because he totally – fits the mold of a good like you could see him having a great strike three call on a pitch just a little off the plate that that gets somebody fired up I, I could totally see that working I could see him throwing a guy out for kicking a little dirt yeah he strikes me as a guy that keeps a meticulous plate like there's not like one speck <laughs> of dirt on that thing yeah I could see that as well um the the special teams thing is interesting because I you know, the, the last couple of years, you've had moments in, in various seasons where you basically like had a moment after a game where it seemed like nobody was really owning what the heck happened with some of the decision making. And, you know, Scott Frost kind of, he like kind of alluded to it today, but, you know, it, Mike Dawson's going to be handling kickoffs and punts. And you've got Tony Tuioti and, and Greg Austin kind of handling the field goal protection and the block. Like there's not a, there's, there's not a whole lot of finesse to that. I don't think, but you know, I, I think just having a singular person who's a full-time staffer who's like is owning the decision-making and the organization going into a game, I think is very important. And but the fact that Dawson's done it before, I think it makes a lot of sense for it to be him. Um, you know, he, he does have the, the defensive coaching responsibilities, but I think he has the, the latitude to kind of, you know, really own it. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really been what's lacking. I mean, they, they've had, you know, the, the GAs that have kind of overseen things and you've had, you know, last season where, a lot of assistant coaches kind of had their role and, and their little fiefdom of special teams. But I really think you just need kind of that like clearing house guy that's going to be in charge of that stuff. So you don't have Scott Frost standing up there after a game saying, I don't know why we kicked to this guy or we talked all week about how we weren't going to kick to this guy. So it, it's, I think we'll see how it goes, but I think that this is the right approach if you're not going to hire a full-time special teams coordinator guy. Yeah, I mean, in, in fairness to that, it's not like Mike Dawson's going to talk after a game, though. So it's still going to be like a. But, but you would hope that you wouldn't have the situation where there's legitimate like confusion about why a decision was made. Yeah, I mean, it was still kind of that case against Wisconsin in 2019 when Javon DeWitt's in the same role that Mike Dawson now owns. Because they kick off to Crookshank when it was clearly apparently what they were not trying to do. Um so it's just I, I I just find myself like I I find humor in the idea that this is what Nebraska did when they first got here. Then they went all in on an analyst. They clearly didn't like that route of it. And so now they're back to where they were before. And um, you know, I don't know if that gives me a ton of good feeling that the special teams will be markedly better than what it was in 2018, 2019. Um, you know, I expected it might be better than it was in 2020, but the weird thing about their special teams is that it's been something drastically different, almost all three of the years that they've kind of dealt with, like other than maybe they just haven't had that one leg that can kick it deep, but they've just had weird different things pop up across the special team. So maybe it's just not even an overarching issue. Yeah. Ideally you don't have a kicker or punter who, uh, suffers a season ending injury in camp this year, which has happened the last two years. Uh, so that's, we didn't even ask about uh, the Aussie punter today, but it'd be interesting to see as we go forward, if he's all ready to go. Uh, you know, the biggest thing to me is though, can you get your guys to, to just really hone in on details? Like even some of the things like last year, where once in a while, Nebraska would try to to actually make a return happen. And of course, Elante Brown is out there wanting to be a game changer, but it would be a really bad decision. You know, you take, you would catch it at the four yard line 
and you'd end up giving up like nine yards of field position because he gets snowed under at the 16. And, you know, that it's those sort of little details uh, that, that, that needs, you want to see fix like some really smart football out there where guys know like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm taking the extra 10 yards of field position on this one. Um, Just things like that, that have been missing. Obviously, you know, the most embarrassing thing I thought last year was when twice punters ran for first downs. And the one was it the Illinois punter who did like the, the little uh, dance thing. I mean, he just ran all around the field until he got like 20 yards and it took about 30 seconds. I mean, that was one of the roughest plays you saw all year. It's like little things like that, where it's clear, like somebody was just completely not locked into their responsibility there. And so that it's things like those, like little things where I think you could shore up and it could make a big difference. So besides special teams, what else kind of stood out for you guys? Um, to me, at least from the outside looking in and reading your own coverage, uh, the, the wide receiver thing and, and maybe even the role of like a Samari Toure uh, stands out a little bit mm-hmm. because I, I would have, I guess, initially guessed an outside wide receiver, but I can also see the appeal. And I think Scott Frost has kind of hinted at this before of having a bigger receiver in that slot. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't really expect that. Uh, so Toure in the slot was interesting. And then I don't know if Bruns thought this, but the Oliver Martin talk felt kind of real to me, which isn't that stunning either because I thought, I thought he did pretty well last year for a yeah. guy who, when you all things considered, he didn't even know if he was going to be eligible when the season started. So it's hard to say dialed in. And yet he was ready when his number was called. He started the last four games and had his QB hit him in stride on a couple plays. Uh, he would have like doubled or tripled his yardage total than it, that he had. Uh, I remember one in particular, it would have been a 60 yard touchdown if the throw is there uh, at the end of the half. I think it was against Minnesota, but he's a, I mean, he was a four-star athlete. Scott Frost says he had a 40-inch vertical in winter testing. And it's just a guy who you're kind of excited to see what he can do when he actually gets a full spring and a full offseason to actually know everything he's doing. And that's sort of the way it is with all these receivers. Like, you could say the same thing about Xavier Betts. Like, last year, he's a guy sort of running around. He can do a few things, but he can't do all the things because he just doesn't – he's only, like, two chapters into the book. And now – there's a feeling like maybe with a full year of work, some of these guys, you don't have to worry about when you throw them out there. They just know everything and they can do it. So we'll see. The, the, the Oliver Martin thing's interesting because, you know, he, he's obviously at Nebraska as a, a walk-on or came as a walk-on. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, if you kind of followed his recruitment the first time around, I mean, this is a guy that was pretty much coveted by everybody in the country and is just like a, he's a freak athlete. I mean, it is he was like a swimmer, wasn't he, in high school? Yeah. Too? He was like a swimmer and a baseball player. But yeah, he's a, he was like a record-setting swimmer. Yeah, eight-time state champion uh, in, in, this, in, in swimming. And, you know, it was a guy that I think, <coughs> you know, in high school – you know, he's a, a top 50 type recruit and everybody kind of rolls their eyes a little bit because there's a you know, six foot wide receiver from Iowa and he goes down and has a really competitive, good uh, appearance at the uh, Army All-American, Army All-American game. So, you know, it's, you know, shouldn't be surprising, but I mean, I, I think with the full off season to, to kind of learn that offense, I think that's going to be huge for him. And I think he's going to be a factor in a big way and not take a back seat to, uh, you know, any of those guys uh, once he kind of has some comfort um, in, in Nebraska's offense. And I think you even saw, you know, in the, in the couple games of him getting eligible and getting in, I, I thought he was, you know, really, you know, pretty effective and, and seemed like a guy that, that, you know, had some stuff that you kind of build with there. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, Oh, go ahead, Brian. I mean, I was just going to say, uh, Everything has to be proven with the receivers. I'm not here. I understand this fan base is skeptical about all this right now. They're like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, I, all we know is that the coaches are really bullish on the receivers they have. I, I think Scott Frost truly does believe 
this is the deepest, most talented group they have to work with um, since he's been here, certainly, and, and maybe even beyond that. I, I was willing to say last year that with Matt Lubick, it was sort of an incomplete grade because he was working with guys figure it, trying to figure it out on the fly. But, you know, by mid-October, late October, they're going to have to have some proof that they have found five or six guys who can make plays and that they can throw the ball downfield, and that's a real thing. So uh, we're going to know soon enough. But I, I do have an open mind about that position. And, and, and I mean, they do have some guys that on paper, you're like, yeah, they're intriguing. they're intriguing players. So the the thing about Scott Frost saying that, and I, I definitely understand the skepticism of it too, because there's two different things at play here. I, I think it's very possible. I, I think it's actually accurate that this is the deepest group of wide receivers they've had in the last four years. You can stack up the names pretty easily. And from a recruiting perspective, they have quite a few four stars in that regard as well, or at least at the time of high school, those guys were four stars. And then you, you, think about it from the talent and the depth it does seem like they have a lot but then it's sort of as you said brian people want that production they they want something to actually be attached to it that doesn't just feel hollow and that's kind of where you dive into this whole nebraska offense like it's a chicken versus the egg is it adrian martinez isn't able to to hit guys when they're open or isn't able to create the offense downfield or is it they haven't had the wide receivers to actually be able to stress and attack a defense over five yards. And we're going to get an answer to that in some regard, I would imagine, this fall. But it requires a lot of sort of blind faith that these guys are, are going to be as talented as what they might seem on paper. Yeah, and, and Toure is going to be a big part of it, whether he can be kind of a, kind of a magical one-year wonder for Nebraska – um, not that he's exactly Stanley Morgan or anything, but they do need to find a guy who can win a 50, 50 ball. And we've said this on this podcast before with Adrian Martinez, I feel like his freshman year, one of the great benefits he had was he trusted Stanley who was going to go up and, and make plays where he could, he could put it up there and, and Stanley would go get it today. Matt Lubick said about Toure said 50, 50 balls with him aren't, 50 50 really he's one of those guys we think can go up and and he can win those fights so I mean if that's a true case that that right there can change some things if you could find multiple guys like that then you're really in business but we'll see so do we want to start calling them 60 40s <laughs> we, well let's wait let's wait <laughs> Let's get some All let's right. get some vis, visual data out there. We actually need to see him running around and catching a pass before we start calling him sixty forty. Yeah. I will say about Stanley Morgan real quick. I don't know if you guys remember this, but his freshman year in the first camp, I was like, that guy's good. <laughs> like it doesn't it didn't take long to realize like Stanley and remember like in the Miami game, like his freshman year, he made like multiple plays. So you're gonna know you're gonna know in a hurry if if two rays got the goods or if some of these other guys do. I, I think I don't think it's gonna take that long to figure it out. Yeah. <clears throat> the the one guy that didn't get a ton of discussion today that I was a little surprised by was was Xavier Betts. Yeah. I mean, he, I don't think they were going to volunteer a lot about guys unless they're asked about them. I did ask one question about bets and you know, I, I Lubick, I, I, I think I got the sense with the, most of the guys, they wanted to be careful to not to put the hype through the ceiling at this point, which is probably a good thing. Uh, they just go all in on hype. Yeah. I think you just got to lean into it. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, there's literally nothing left to lose, right? Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, may, maybe just for the individual, it, it helps to, like, you know, not put that pressure. I remember, like, a month ago, we had one of these Zoom calls, and with Omar Manning, Frost didn't want to, like, put put the weight of the wor Husker world on his shoulders and stuff like that. So I, I do think they're maybe cognizant of that with some guys. Like, let's let's not go overboard right now. Let's Let's wait. So, all right, so you, you hit on that. And then right guard, I feel like there was a few names thrown out there that people might not have thought of uh, maybe coming into the spring or, you know, Brand Banks was more largely regarded as a tackle backup or an option to, to, to fight off either Corcoran or Benhart. 
and then his name got mentioned at guard. What what did you guys take away from that right guard offensive line competition? There's a lot of guy, a lot of guys there. Um, you know, you, you've got Banks, the addition there, uh, Brock Bando, Ezra Miller, uh, the Iowa transfer, um, Nuelli, um from uh, the Colorado State transfer. I'm trying to think who else, Hickson, uh, another guy there. You know, th- that position to me seems like one where we hear a lot about, you know, getting your best five on the field. And that's kind of what I was thinking about Brant Banks, where, you know, if he's going to be the backup left tackle, I feel like, you know, he's, he could be sitting a while because I, I don't think Turner Corcoran's going anywhere. And if Banks can play and, you know, he, he fits in that guard spot, I, I think you, you give him a shot there. So, I mean, this is kind of the time of year where you tinker and, and try guys at different spots. But I, I can't remember a especially an offensive line position battle having this many options and like actual like workable options and guys who have played uh, before or at least seem like they should be able to slide in there. Uh, that, that kind of what Nebraska is dealing with this year. Yeah. yeah I, I thought as I thought Ezra Miller was probably the most <coughs> name um, getting mentioned. Just, I mean, another guy who was a four-star recruit and uh, a lot of people wanted. So, I guess not surprising. Um, I don't know. New Illy could be interesting there too, I guess. I didn't know if he got brought up, but he's a guy that Austin has met, mentioned in the past. Greg Austin, on I think he talks Wednesday. That'll be interesting because oftentimes he will, at least at the start, kind of give a little rundown of this is where this guy's sort of starting off. And you, you kind of get at least an idea of where guys are at um, going in. And so we'll see if he does that. It might clear up that a little bit more. Yeah, the Ezra Miller thing, I threw his name out there in the VIP chat, and I think it caught at least a few people by surprise. But, I I mean, I think there's a reason that Nebraska wanted him to walk on, same with Oliver, uh, Oliver Martin, because it's basically you're getting a guy that was widely regarded as someone who could play. You're getting the opportunity to just kind of see for yourself and if it kind of clicks for him, you're betting on talent. And that's why, you know, Miller was was regarded as someone who was going to be a Big Ten offensive lineman and a multi-year starter. And he, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't take to college right away. And that was, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have the ability to play, to play football. And so I, I looked at him as someone who could be a real dark horse in this offensive line thing. And then the other guy – for me is Brock Bando. I know that Greg Austin likes him a lot. Uh, I think that they view him as someone that can be sort of an all purpose backup for him along that offensive line. And maybe that's where they'd prefer to keep him if they could. Uh, but he was someone that I just remember Brock Bando uh, really caught Greg Austin's attention in the second year with Nebraska. And wow. he, he just seems like he trusts him. And I think this spot might just come down to something like that. It's like, maybe it's not, the biggest upside play, but it's someone that they think is competent and that they can just trust to get the job done. Yeah, that's a good, good point there. You climbing aboard the Brock Bando train? Yeah, I don't know. I, I go back and forth because I, I think the thing that makes it sort of fascinating is maybe other than – well, actually, and you can make a case for Newelli, who started eight games at Colorado State. I, I think that there's an argument to be made as to why any of those – those names, I think there's what five of them make sense. And it's just really going to come down to how do they want to configure that offensive line and how much does it matter if a guy like Brant Banks isn't going to be available to be a left tackle for you, or do you just reconfigure if you have an injury, you know? And so um, it, it, you know, do they want their best five linemen? Do they want a guy who they can trust and, and they're, you know, expect to be competent. Like I, I, I'm just kind of curious. And then, you know, Bryce Benhart at right tackle is a guy that I think I kind of viewed Brant Banks was going to be pushing him a little bit this year in the spring because I don't know for sure that it's a slam dunk that he's completely locked in as your right tackle uh, because he still has to get a little bit better too. And it's it's hard because he was just a, a redshirt freshman last year. But um, it, it it does create some interesting kind of looks across that offensive line when you look at those groups. 
there anything else, Bronze, that stuck out to you? Um, well, we, we got a little bit of an explanation, I guess, on the Oklahoma stuff. Um, I don't know. You know, defensively, <coughs> it is an interesting spring for that group because, you know, you, you have so many of those super seniors back for their victory lap. And, you know, you, you kind of have to, I think, as a coaching staff, manage, you know, bringing those guys along, but also making sure that you have enough work for guys that you're probably going to have to depend on sooner than later, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think there is kind of an interesting question to be asked about, you know, what, what's, what's the next step for that group? I mean, if, if you kind of, you know, graph Nebraska's defense and kind of the way that they're trending, I mean, they, they are trending in the right direction, but what's a realistic kind of next step or, or next kind of point on that graph for this group? Um, they were good at times last year. There were certainly areas that they can improve on, but, you know, with pretty much everybody back, um, you know, minus DiCaprio Boodle um, kind of in that mix, you know, it, it seems like, you know, that that group should be kind of humming and ready to go by the time, uh, you know, they, they report back for fall camp in, in July. So that that's kind of, I guess, how we assess that group uh, is maybe something, you know, we're going to discuss this spring, but also, I mean, we can discuss it now if you want, but I mean, what, what is the next step for that group? I feel like it's takeaways. Um, like, I, I feel like a big thing that would help Nebraska have that sort of season where they, they got over the top maybe would be, there's a defense that comes to mind and some people cringe when I bring it up because it brings back Polini, but um, the 2003 remember that Husker defense um, and sort of just how they, they just like, they were great at like stealing the football. Like you just could count on it two or three times a game. And I think they're going to need to be that type of defense where not only are they just solid, but you want them to make game changing plays like the play Deontay Williams made against Penn state. You're not going to make that every week, but the more of that type of stuff where it just totally tips a game in your direction um, and they haven't quite had enough of those uh, for quite a while. And so I, I feel like that's, that's maybe the next step. I also thought interesting part of kind of what you're talking about is who are the next guys after the veterans going forward? Like Jojo Doman obviously is the guy at that outside backer spot, but you know, Chenander spoke about how Javen Wright and Isaac Gifford are guys that they sort of want to train there. And so just as we've said before, that was such a huge deal that Doman came back because he's a good player, but also it buys you one year of time to sort of let Javen Wright and Isaac Gifford or whoever be sort of understudies from under Doman. Um, and, and hopefully by next year, then one of those guys or both of them are, are you feel pretty solid about, you know, maybe taking over that job. So I, I, that, that part was interesting, just sort of the Doman and what's after Doman thing. I, that's an interesting sidebar for this defense. There's a million outside linebackers, a million of them. That seems accurate. I don't think it's an exaggeration. I mean, I, I wrote about this this morning, but, you know, someone like Caleb Tanner, who we always kind of wait and it's like, when is he going to break through? Well, if he doesn't show something this spring, he's going to be buried on the depth chart. I mean, you have so many different linebackers, uh, you know, plus, and I don't even think his name's come up yet, but it seems like they're pretty excited about at least athletically what Chris Kolarovic is going to give them. So then does that just move Nick Henrich to the outside? And then you've already got Garrett Nelson. You've got Feldarius Payne, Blaze Gunnarsson, someone that they like. Uh, Javen Wright is someone that we hear about. Like, and, and, you know, JoJo Doman's not coming out of the game anytime soon. So it, it just kind of feels like if you're Caleb Tanner, like this seems like a huge spring to me because otherwise it just feels like what role does he actually have? If Feldarius Payne's a better pass rusher and if Garrett Nelson's a better run defender, what what is he going to get on the field to do, you know? Fair question. And it's it, – I mean, it's at both linebacker spots too. I mean, you could probably go three deep. Um, yeah, they're crazy deep in the middle of the second level. Yeah. And yet they continue to recruit 700 linebackers. 
you, you got to keep shoveling coal in, Mike. You got to have those guys. The train's going to keep running. Yeah. All right. BC doesn't want to talk linebackers. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've talked a lot. Um, I mean, you're right. Talk it, more. It, Carry the podcast. No, no. I mean, the middle back, what they do with Henrich is interesting because you, you know that they really like him. And yet it's hard to figure out what they're who emerges at the top at middle back or you, you assume Honus and we've kind of, I think, assumed Luke Reimer. Yep. Uh, but then Kolarovic is still, Chenander still views him right now as a middle backer. Cause I asked him if, if he could be both. And he said, he that's not out of the realm of possibility, but right now he's a middle backer. Um, so you got Henrich, Kolarovic, Honus, Reimer, Snodgrass, Ateva Malga Clements, who we were pretty excited about this time last year and had kind of a bad deal because he didn't get a spring. I mean, it that is a that's a deep group group. Uh, I mean, imagine if Keyshawn Green had stayed, you know, <laughs> like uh, I mean it that there's there is a ton of guys there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's uh, let's take a break and we're gonna come back. We're gonna get into a couple other sports that have a lot of things going on here right now this time of year i mean nebraska basketball picked up a transfer portal edition we'll talk a little about cj wilcher and then of course nebraska baseball can't be stopped and especially when they get to uh to feast on the the likes of minnesota's pitching so we'll check in with michael brunts on that so a little basketball a little baseball as we come back here with the husker 24 7 podcast Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so I mentioned before we went to break, Fred Hoiberg, Nebraska, was able to add a piece. C.J. Wilcher, a 6'4", 6'5", 200-pound guard from Xavier. I, I checked with a couple different people that follow that program pretty closely. And it seems like when he was able to get in, they kind of had a mess of a season. And when he was able to get in, he was playing as a very undersized stretch four a lot of the time. And it doesn't seem like that's what Nebraska would be using him for. He's a guy that uh, at the high school level, people loved his jump shot. Uh, it strikes me as this could be someone that Nebraska has come off the bench and try to knock down a couple threes a game. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting addition. So we, we kind of talked about this, I think, maybe a couple pods ago or a couple weeks. I don't remember when it was. But, you know, Nebraska, they, they need a point guard. They needed a wing that could come in and, and hit some shots from the outside. And, you know, that, you know, yeah, it's a post-depth, too, if you can get it. And, you know, this is kind of the first piece for that with Wiltshire. You're right. I mean, I think he was playing out of position. I think, I think Xavier was kind of a mess at times last year. And, you know, he shot 35% from three point range. It's not bad. He averaged about 10 minutes a game. I mean, I think he's a guy that would certainly benefit from a change of scenery. I know that during his recruiting process, the first time around, pretty much if he didn't go to Xavier, he was going to end up at Nebraska. I mean, that was kind of the, the feeling around the our national basketball guys in the network that, you know, Nebraska made a ton of sense for him, had that previous relationship. So, um, you know, a, a guy that I, I think can fit Hoiberg's system, especially if he can get that three-point percentage up a little bit. I mean, that's uh, that's not a bad addition. And certainly a guy that got a lot of attention when he went right near the portal. And, you know, because of the free year, he still has four years of eligibility left. 
Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I'm definitely. Bruce, you find yourself a little bit intrigued as to how this is all going to come together with playing time. I mean, you have Kobe Webster coming back. You have Tominaga coming in. You have uh, Bryce McGowan's coming in. You have Wilhelm Breedenbach coming in. It, you, they still have several spots they can use. Shamil Stevenson, Delano Banton don't look like they would be starters uh, at the at the beginning of the year. It just, there does feel like there's going to be a very deep team, uh, and, and maybe there's still some moves that have to be shook out here. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Nebraska is very much involved um, with, with a couple other transfers. Xavier Penson, uh, the, the Missouri transfer, is a guy that I would probably watch for, you know, a potential point guard addition uh, out of the Chicago area. I know Nebraska is one of the first teams that reached out to him when he hit the portal. Um, and, and, you know, beyond that, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to see Nebraska probably fill all of its scholarships um, if they don't have to. I mean, maybe you carry one forward. To, 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 you know, the next recruiting class. I mean, that, that's the thing is like when there's so many guys in the portal and they went over a thousand players in the transfer portal today, um, you, you got to make sure that it's the right fit and it's a good fit and, and not just take a guy to take a guy. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you can bring guys in and if they're kind of like the, the 12th or 13th scholarship guy on your roster, um, you, you want to make sure it's a, a good fit and it's it, Nebraska's lineup does seem pretty wing heavy right now, but I, I think that's okay. Cause I think they, they want to play more up tempo than what they did last year um, because they really had to kind of rein things in, I think, as the season went along. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, where, where do you kind of think that they look next? I mean, cause it, it's clear they're going to get another player or two out of the portal, but what, what do you sort of expect as you look at uh, where they need to attack with this roster? Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, I think point guards an important one. Um, you know, you, you can have Trey McGowan's can run the point. I don't think that that's necessarily the best place for him to be doing that all the time. Um, but you know, it's, it's like the speed dating thing. I mean, Nebraska has been linked to a lot of people, um, you know, they're, they're going to kick the tires on guys that fit what they're looking for. It's, you know, some size, um, some guys that are kind of no brainer type, um, instant, um, you know, additions guys that can help you right away. Penson's one, they've been linked pretty heavily to Myron Jones, the, the Penn state transfer. I know they've done, uh, some zoom meetings with him. Um, he's a guy that, you know, has been through the Big Ten, average double digits, um, kind of matched Teddy Allen bucket for bucket for a while uh, when they were in Lincoln. So, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of the way that they go. And, and maybe, you know, the, you see some intriguing names come into the portal over the next couple of weeks because it, it's uh, it hasn't shown any signs of stopping. And I'm really curious to see, you know, what what this is going to look like when we get to the end of the summer and there's so many guys that don't have a landing spot yet. So, um, you know, I, like I said, point guard, a little more wing help and, and maybe some size in the post. And I think you call it good. I don't think you just need to, to fill spots to fill spots. And we still don't have a, we still don't have decisions publicly from, from Thor. Um, and then, you know, whatever Shamil Stevenson or Delano Banton, I guess are thinking with, you know, what their different roles might be. All right, let's uh, let's shift sports again. Nebraska baseball cannot be stopped. What is going on on the diamond? And do you think they got a little bit of a lift out of having fans in the stands for the first time? I was so I was there was the Nebraska basically kind of stole a victory uh, from Minnesota when Minnesota's bullpen stopped being able to find the strike zone, uh, scored a bunch of runs via walk, hit batter, an error, and it, I was thinking like that kind of a situation is when you want your home fans there because when you're standing on the mound and you like just cannot find the strike zone, like there's nothing worse than like that crowd just getting on you. And it's just, it just kind of feeds off of itself in some ways. And I, I think that kind of gave them a little bit of a boost in that game uh, that they got from Minnesota. So, you know, looking at the standings right now, Nebraska is in a really good spot. They're, they're right there in the top three in the conference. They, they've beaten the teams that they're supposed to, you know, Minnesota, that was probably the, the worst Minnesota team I've seen since uh, Nebraska has been in the big 10. I was really kind of surprised by that. Uh, you know, they took three or four from Purdue. Um, 
you know, I, I think they're kind of doing the right things and um, they, they've shown that, that they can, you know, win a variety of ways. And I like that, you know, you're starting to see contributions from everywhere. You got Luke Roskam hitting, you know, Mojo Haggy somehow got a hit off of a left-handed hitter, which I don't know that he had really done uh, with any kind of consistency at any point during his time in Nebraska. So they're just kind of, kind of riding the wave right now, playing pretty good baseball. Yeah, and they, you know, the, the way the schedule kind of sets up for them, it does feel like they could stack some more wins here if they can go into Illinois uh, and, and come out there. And then I believe they're home uh, for what, Maryland after that. Neither team is lighting the world on fire right now. And it, it feels like their biggest series are, are later in the year. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that's uh, at least the way it's shaping up now. I mean, that, that uh, finale against Michigan is going to be huge. Um, you know, I, I think we'd kind of talked about it at the start of the year that you, you needed some teams to kind of start to separate themselves from the pack a little bit. And you're starting to see that a little bit with Indiana, Michigan, and Nebraska. Um, you know, Indiana's 11 and three, Michigan and Nebraska, are both 11 and four. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the series with those two teams are going to loom, uh, really large and you know for Nebraska I mean you just got to keep uh, winning series that's that's really the recipe for them and uh, you know ho- hope that uh, the pitching kind of figures itself out a little bit I, they, they've gotten they got great pitching against Minnesota but they just need a little bit more consistency from some of their guys I think even though um, you know they're still kind of figuring out bullpen rolls and all that stuff who, uh, who's been more impressive in their Nebraska debut, Max Anderson or Kate Povich? Uh, I mean, I, I think Max Anderson doing what he's doing right out of the gates has been pretty remarkable. Um, you know, it's, I'll, I'll dig into it a little bit as this year goes along, but I mean, his, his start to the season, um, uh, as a freshman is pretty comparable to what Darren Erstad and, um, Alex Gordon did as, as freshmen. Um, and, and that's obviously different conference, different bats, different, different baseballs. It's tough to compare, but he's got a mature approach. Um, you know, he's going to be in the middle of that lineup for the next three years. And I think you can see why he was, you know, kind of rated what he was coming out of high school. I mean, the, the guy hit 800 in, in Legion ball pretty much. So, uh, that's not bad. And, you know, I, I think he's been the most impressive to me. I think, Cade Povich, though, and we were kind of texting during the Minnesota game. I think he's probably their best Friday night guy they've had from a consistency standpoint, going back to like probably Chance Sinclair, I'd say. Um, very different pitcher than Chance Sinclair. Very different. But, you know, d- the type of guy that's going to give you a chance to win every Friday. Um, and, and the thing with, with Povich, I mean, if he can keep the velocity up late in the innings and you know, kind of keep his pitch count down as much as possible. It's tough because he's a strikeout pitcher, but, you know, all those scouts were sitting there with radar guns during his start for a reason. I mean, I, th- I think he's got that kind of talent. So um, he- he's going to be really important. And, and, you know, in the Big Ten, you know, Indiana and Michigan both have pretty good pitching staffs. And I think Povich can, can match up pretty well with those guys, at least from the standpoint of giving Nebraska a chance to win. Yeah, I said debut. He obviously debuted in 2020 the season that does not exist, but he's, uh, but he's a, he's a different pitcher um, than he was last year. I mean, he, he's added some strength. The velocity's up a little bit. I thought last year, I mean, he didn't walk that many guys, but he was around the zone a little too much and was getting hit for, for doing that. I mean, he was a little too accurate uh, if that makes sense. So I, I you know, I, I, he had a really strong summer down in Georgia and uh, he's, he's kind of built on that this year. I mean, I, I think he's, He's kind of what they what they hoped he would be whenever uh, whenever he can. I think he's the first commit that, that Will Bolt got at Nebraska. So that's uh, his claim to fame, and he's backing it up this year. How do you feel about the fact that Northwestern has like 30 home runs already and they hit 11 in a weekend? I, I don't know what to make of them because, you know, they're, they're nine and five. I really like – I've always liked their head coach. Um, I, I think he was uh, – he was an assistant at Creighton for a while. And, you know, I, I don't know that they've necessarily played the cream of the crop in the Big Ten yet this year, but 
they play hard and they compete. And that, I mean, those are the types of games where if you're Nebraska and let's say you drop two or three to like a Northwestern. I mean, those can really set you back. So it's, it's kind of to the point now, I think where, you know, Indiana, Michigan, Nebraska, they really kind of need to thread the needle with some of those teams and, and keep winning series. It, it's easier said than done, but um, you know, Northwestern is, is better than I think teams thought they would be. Rutgers is kind of hitting the piss out of the ball too. And even Michigan state's been, you know, a, a better team than what they were predicted to be. So it, it's uh, the, the conference only thing's tough. And, and especially when you're not getting the midweek uh, midweek games to kind of work through things. Which, uh, which catcher surprised you more with their, their late power in their career? Tanner Lubach or Luke um, did Lubach have a ton? Lubach's final season, I felt like he hit six <coughs> home runs, six or seven home runs, which for a college catcher, I think is pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Roscom's been there. It seems like about. I mean, he's kind of on the Mojo Haggy plan. So, I mean, they've been there for nine, ten years. It seems like. And uh, I don't know, you know, Roscoe was always a guy that can never put it together um, for, for a full season, but he's, he's swinging a hot bat. Uh, and, and that's a good thing because they, uh, he can play a little first base for him, DH a little bit, catch. I mean, those guys are valuable. I, I was wrong. I added up his junior and his senior year. <laughs> so he had, he had three, three as a junior, four as a senior, I think. Tanner Lubach hit one of the more memorable home runs in recent memory, though. He walked off uh, walked off Indiana in the Big Ten baseball tournament in Minneapolis in 2012. Okay. That so was he, had, he had four in 2015. He had three in 2014. And he had two in 2013. I want to say that was the year that Nebraska – finished below 500 and had to win the big 10 baseball tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, even though their RPI was like right. good enough that they would have made it if they had just been one game over 500. They had the reverse of Nebraska basketball several years later. Yes. Yes. And Nebraska baseball did not get a, a five seed against uh, Mississippi state on the road in the NIT. <laughs> I don't think Mississippi state's a four seed anywhere in the NIT baseball if such a thing were to exist any any good banter you want to finish up with does anybody have any teams left in their bracket besides gonzaga um i have uh yeah i have michigan over baylor in the championship so we'll see Whoa. we'll see what happens big joan howard guy <laughs> i don't know i just everybody everybody in the, my family bracket was going gonzaga so i had to I had to be different. You guys got any, really, you got any hot Big Ten takes? I haven't been on the podcast since they <laughs> crapped the bed. Uh, I think that it really, for me, kind of amounted to it felt like the Big Ten had two teams that could make a run. Michigan's making a run. Illinois bowed out early. They had a bad off day with, with Loyola. Um, but I never felt like the Big Ten Conference had that many teams that were going to go deep into – into March. I didn't believe in Iowa. I didn't believe in Ohio state. Um, you know, so I, I think the only teams I had getting out of the second round in the, in the big 10 would have been Illinois and Michigan. So, um, part of it was, it was confirmation bias for me. A little, the, the one team that surprised me and, and, you know, not necessarily that I thought they would make it really deep, but I thought Wisconsin had, the ability to be just one of those completely annoying teams that Wisconsin team, you mean? Yeah. I mean, basically they become Wisconsin and plays, you know, better than they should. They kind of gut out some ugly wins. I mean, every one of their starters is like 27 and I felt like that would maybe help them a little bit, but yeah, it was, I mean, I, I, I wasn't surprised at all that, you know, teams like Rutgers, you know, d didn't really make a deep run or, it's well, like Rutgers, Rutgers should have beaten Houston. Houston's in the Final Four, courtesy of Steve Peichel having some of the worst coaching down the oh. stretch that you were going to find. Yeah. Well, it's kind of to be expected. I mean, he's too busy pounding nails. That's the thing, right? Steve Peichel pounding nails? <laughs> I don't know. But, 
Yeah, I mean, it, Ohio State, like, that, they were a team that, like, kind of felt like they played above their pay grade for most of the season. Um, so, I don't know. It was, it was just interesting because, you know, as much as the, the Big Ten was talked up all year about being so great, I mean, it was pretty obvious that there was a clear dividing line about who had a chance to actually go deep and, and who didn't. I'm saving my Big Ten takes for uh, bowl season, see how they do in the uh, Outback and Gator Bowl. They they don't want to be there, isn't that the? It was it was it was very strange to see all of the Big Ten people taking on the arguments of SEC bowl season. <laughs> I have I do always find it funny that like the Big Ten is like the the grading scale on the Big Ten is based off like what Northwestern does in like the Capital One Bowl or something. It's always kind of funny. Usually they're playing up a notch to like an SEC team that's probably one notch above them. So I'll, I'll wait. I'm going to sit out the Big Ten basketball and wait till uh, bowl season. All right. That's fair. Um, yeah. Well, with that, then I, we don't, we don't want to keep the people any longer than we need. But uh, let's go ahead and close this thing out. We uh, will likely do another podcast this week, I would think. Nebraska is going to talk again. We'll have access to assistant coaches on Wednesday, I believe, Brian. Is that right? Yeah, in person. Right. And so then, you know, we'll probably have another podcast later this week, dive into some of those things. We can get into a little bit of recruiting Nebraska is going to have. Um, and I don't know. I still haven't figured out how to phrase this, but uh, Brody Foley will be doing a self-guided visit. So it's not really like Nebraska's hosting them. That's a tight end. Nebraska missed on a top 10 of a tight end in their own state. Not Mike O'Reilly, but this time Caden Helms. But we can dive into all of that stuff on the message board, on the podcast. So for Michael Brunson, Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Schaefer, and we will catch you next time with the Husker 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.